Hey, welcome everyone. Actually, I'm going to confess there's a few more people here than I anticipated. I knew a lot of people that were out of town and then, of course, we always look at the Viking football schedule when we uh, look at our schedule. But hey, you're here. Congratulations. Way to support the table. I love it. My name is Debbie Manning. I'm one of the pastors here at the table. Matt Mulberg, along with my daughter Kate and his brother uh, Jordan and their whole family are away in Arizona for a week-long trip with adults. So uh, Daddy and Papa, Grandma and Grandpa have got a baby, a one-year-old for a week. So let's see how I look next Sunday when you see me. It's one thing to take them for a day. Well, I'm not used to getting up so early. But hey, we are in a series that we're calling, Do I Stay or Do I Go? Did I get that right? We are in Brian McLaren's book, Do I Stay Christian? And tonight we're going to be talking about staying loyal to reality. It's kind of an easy conversation in many ways because there's a lot of ways we can look not only at ourselves, but our culture and community and our nation is maybe struggling a little bit with staying loyal to reality. But before I go there, I want to say it's been a couple weeks since I've been here, which is pretty unusual for me. Last week we weren't um, meeting because of the Bethlehem music series and the week before so two weeks ago and Maggie mentioned it this little guy Patty you want to flip that up this little baby boy was born and I had the chance to be at the hospital with Annie and Jake and while it was a surprising turn of events a little bit harrowing of a delivery a story for another time this beautiful little baby born, a baby boy was born and healthy and happy and then his big sister Sammy has now gotten used to an idea that um, let me tell you a little bit about as we talk about reality or lack of. So early on in this pregnancy, um, earlier, um, Jake and Annie decided to find out what the gender of this little baby was going to be. And on the day that they went to the doctor, it happened to be day-day day. That's what they call me, day-day. And of course, I do what grandmas do. And two in the afternoon, I'm sitting at Tap Society with Sammy having a milkshake. And, and Jake and Annie come up and they go, Sammy good news, you're going to have a baby brother. No, I'm not. I'm having a baby sister. And as they eased her into that reality, her response got stronger, a little bit angry. There were t tears. I am not having a baby brother. I'm having a baby sister. Well, guess what? No matter how hard Sammy wanted to believe, that she was having a baby sister. She actually had a baby brother. That was her reality. And that's exactly what we're talking about tonight. Reality, this idea that uh, the world or state of things are as they actually exist. And when I think about reality, I think about how that is woven together with truth. And truth, this thing that have, I used to think felt like, well, yeah, this is, Truth is claims that are supported by incontestable facts. Seems like it's been redefined a bit in our culture. I suppose it's been an issue with throughout human history, but somehow in the last six plus years, it feels like it's been in our face. That actually that's not the truth. And I think the question we talk about is, is truth based more on our convictions or on fact-based evidence? Facts trump by belief. I think we always have a piece of the truth, but the risk is either personally or by others out here that truth can be twisted and muddied and all of a sudden we start to feel a little lost. But we are 
We're sitting here because we are pursuing faith. We claim to be people of faith, and as people of faith, I think the question for us tonight is, do we belong to the truth, or do we live and act as though the truth belongs to us? And that'd be real easy if I said, hey, you guys, can you think of some recent examples of how that looks in our country and our culture? And we could list real simple things like the insurrection, COVID denial, um, election denial, conspiracy theories. And I mean, we could get into so many stories. But I think what's important is when we start denying reality, living in an alternate reality, that it becomes dangerous. And if we don't base our lives and our decisions and our actions, our behavior in reality, it not only becomes dangerous to our soul and who we are, but our family and friends and community and neighbors and to our country. And I'll tell you what, um, of course, off and on, I'm sure for all of you, this is something that has hit home a lot over recent years. But there was a moment where it hit me so hard that I literally had trouble sleeping. And ask anybody, I never have trouble sleeping. My head hits the pillow and I'm out. But unfortunately, I decided to read my New York Times news feed before I went to bed, a couple nights before the election. And you all know the story about Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul, and how an intruder came in and he hit him, crushed, crushed his skull with a hammer. And, and this intruder, they found out later, was this extreme far-right conspiracy theory guy. That's a horrible story. But that's not the article I read. The article I read was about the misinformation that happened within two hours of that event. Within two hours of an 82-year-old man getting his skull crushed with a hammer by someone, and the misinformation that went out through leaders and influencers in our country was appalling. Senators, House of Rep, Tucker Carlson, Elon Musk, put out there on this 82-year-old man that, oh, you know, the, he knew the intruder. The intruder was in his underwear. Oh, this was actually a male prostitute. Put this information out. And in the Time article, they were interviewing a disinformation um, expert who said it didn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much evidence you have. It doesn't matter if people, if the police would have answered Tucker Carlson's call. We want to see the police cam footage because they would have said it was doctored. It doesn't matter. The, if, the information got out there to hundreds of thousands, millions of people, and people took it and believed it to be the truth. But that's not even the part that kept me up late. The two pieces of the story that kept me up late were, number one, like this elderly 82-year-old man who was a victim who now all of a sudden is being victimized again. But more horrifying to me, and that's not too dramatic of a word to use, was that a ton of Republicans came out and they denounced the violence, but not one of them, not one of them called out the falsehoods that their colleagues were putting out there. Not one of them challenged the false narrative. And in that moment, I felt so discouraged about where a good part of this country has gone, where people that I know and love maybe lean. Because if we don't stay loyal to reality, it becomes dangerous, dangerous to all of us. So tonight I'm in John 18. Jesus had just been arrested. He's on trial. 
his kingship is in question, and, and here we go in chapter 18. Pilate then went back inside the palace. He summoned Jesus, and he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you've done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathered there, and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. What I find interesting about this story is that Jesus doesn't give a straight answer. Because maybe truth isn't as simple as we always think or want it to be. Maybe truth is far more than fact, our own experience, or our own answer. But I think what Jesus is saying is that the truth cannot be possessed. Rather, the truth is to be lived. And the truth, which Jesus testifies to, is that the God who is beyond the circumstances of this world is also the God that is in the middle of the circumstances of this world. You see, Jesus came to tell us about the truth, to show us what it looks like in human life and to teach us how to be part of and belong to that truth. But this isn't something, I mean, this goes over Pilate's head. He doesn't understand any of this. He just wants the facts. He wants the quick answers. This isn't about curiosity and questioning and understanding. He wants the answers. And I think it's a lesson that all of us could use today, that this world could use today instead of jumping to the quick answers to actually stay in the conversation. To seek and claim sole possession of the truth is the way of Pilate, and it's the way of the world, but it is not the way of Christ. Jesus never asks us to possess the truth, even about himself. Instead, he asks us to belong to the truth, to let ourselves be possessed by the truth, to listen to his voice. When we make ourselves custodians of the truth, which let me state for the record, like the examples I'm using tonight are just kind of easy ones. We all are vulnerable to thinking, oh yeah, I know the truth. Because you know what? I know I am. I often think, oh, I get this. I do not understand why people don't understand this truth. But when we make ourselves custodians of the truth, when we believe that the truth belongs to us, we listen to our own voice and we listen to the voice of others who think and look and act and believe just like we do. And what we end up doing is we listen to the voice of our political party, of our people, of our country, of our religion, of our faction. We listen to the voice of our own fear and insecurity. We listen to the voice of our prejudice, of our individual needs, of our individual desires. We belong to the truth. Or do we live and act as if the truth belongs to us? Because how we all answer that question will determine the voice that we end up listening to. It'll determine the choices we make. 
the life we live, the priorities we establish, the words we speak, the actions we take. But this story tonight is about another voice. And this is the voice that says this, in the midst of uncertainty and fear, do not fear for I am with you. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will be with you through the end of ages. And in the darkness of death, the voice says, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who know me, who believe in me, will never die. And in the diversity of human beings, all us people who don't think alike or look alike or believe just the same, this voice says you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. In a world that draws lines and points fingers and says you are my enemy, this voice says love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in all the humanitarian need that we could all name that's all over this world, whether it's climate injustice and poverty and hunger and homelessness, that voice said, if I was hungry and you fed me, I was thirsty and you gave me drink, I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. And in the midst of a refugee crisis, that same voice says, you shall love the foreigner as yourself. And in the pain of broken relationship, that voice, that voice of truth says, if anyone has a complaint against one another, forgive as you have been forgiven. To listen to that voice, to belong to the truth, is tied to being loyal to reality. You can't separate the two. Because at the end of the day, to be loyal to God is to be loyal to reality, and to be loyal to reality is to be loyal to God. But here's the problem. We're very vulnerable. We're vulnerable to listening and responding to the wrong voices. Brian McLaren talks about how we are wired for survival and that survival mechanism within us that often inter interferes with our desire for the truth. That fight, flight, freeze, fawn, flock response, it leaves us vulnerable. So what does that mean for us? It means that we need to be aware, that we need to be on guard, that we need to acknowledge the need for self-examination. And there's not anybody who's exempt from that. And the question becomes, how do we know if we're aligning with reality or a false narrative? And what McLaren says, it's the spiritual practice of unknowing. Jamie Holmes, from his book, Nonsense, The Power of Not Knowing, says this, in an increasingly unpredictable, complex world, it turns out that what matters most isn't IQ, willpower, or confidence in what we know. It's how we deal with what we don't understand. We want to increase our odds of being in line with reality. We can acknowledge our unknowing. We can sit humbly in a relaxed way with uncertainty. We can learn to restrain ourselves from jumping from what's obscure and unknown to what's known. We can sit in the unknowing patiently, long enough to examine evidence and consult with people that we know have wisdom. We can think critically. 
We can ask questions. We can keep our hearts and our minds open and non-anxious. And how do we do that? I think there's a lot of ways we can do that, but one of the ways McLaren suggests is through the practice of prayer because in that practice of prayer, you find space where you can actually relax. You can settle. You can be in that space. And the hope would be that when you're in that space, we might learn to acknowledge and to hold together our unknowing, our uncontrol, and our unclosure. And again and again, we've talked about this at the table, I think where we in our human nature continue to get messed up and maybe the voices that we've heard in our past is that somehow deep inside we still think that faith means living with absolute uncertainty, having no doubts whatsoever. I think a lot of us have, I would say people in this room have evolved to knowing that that actually feels more like fear and fundamentalism than it does faithfulness. You know, you look back at the Hebrew scriptures and even the story of Abraham. Abraham set out without knowing where he was going. And his life and journey were open-ended. That's exactly our life and journey. It's open-ended. We don't have all the answers. We don't know. And maybe the life of faith ends up being willing to show up in the uncertainty. But I think what faith is not about, it's not about having the answers but it's about asking better questions, deeper questions that actually lead us to a fuller and more meaningful life. Brian McLaren says this from his book, Do I Stay Christian? Loyalty to reality does not feel like certainty. It feels like humility. It feels like awe, wonder, curiosity, patient attentiveness. It evokes Jesus' call to the perpetual rethinking of repentance to lifelong childlikeness, to the cultivation of the born-again or beginner's mind. It renders you less a pundit and more a contemplative. And so we must keep our eyes, ears, and hearts open, tending the fire of desire for truth in our innermost being. For without a sincere loyalty to reality, pregnant as it is with unknowable possibilities, we will be lost, Christian or not. The risk of being lost is great. It's great to self and soul and community, to the world. And ultimately, if we lose sight of reality, of truth, we risk the mission. We risk, risk the call of being good news in the world and to everyone. You know, Jim Wallace, you guys have ta- heard me talk about him. A lot of you know him. He's you know, a huge activist, justice guy, preacher, author, pastor. He actually is, heads the uh, department. He's the chair at the Justice Center at Georgetown University, which is new. He started Sojourner's Magazine. Um, he's a guy who loves Jesus and justice, and I really respect him a lot. Well, a couple days ago, he uh, put up a post about a dear friend of his that recently passed away uh, after a battle uh, with cancer. His name's Michael Gerson. He died on November 17th, 58 years old. But Mr. Gerson was a Wheaton grad, a conservative, white, evangelical Christian. He was, at some one point, the head speechwriter for George W. Bush. 
Um, he went on after that. He actually ended up being a policy advisor for him. And after that, he ended up writing um, columns for the Washington Post. But when Trump came into play and Trumpism caught on, he found himself on the outside looking in. Homeless. He felt homeless, he said, and very lonely. He was a man whose allegiance was not to party. His allegiance was to Jesus. And as Jim Wallace shared this uh, remembrance about his friend, he talked about how he had written one of the most incredible essays that he'd ever um, read on Christology. And in this essay, he went into the depth of the anti-Christian nature of right-wing populism and its white Christian nationalism. And in Michael's life, his loyalty to reality and truth allowed him to write about what happens when facts are trumped by beliefs. It's a really awesome article. Um, I'm just, I took a few of uh, pieces of it to give you a glimpse of what he had to say. Patty, you can throw that, that first slide up there. Leaders in the Republican Party have fed, justified, and exploited conservative Christians' defensiveness in service to an aggressive reactionary politics. This has included deadly mask and vaccine resistance, the discrediting of fair elections, baseless accusations of gay grooming in schools, the silencing of teaching about the United States' history of racism, and for some, a patently false belief that godless conspiracies have taken hold of political institutions. But the credibility of religious conservatives is undermined by the friends that they've chosen to keep. Their political alignment with MAGA activists has, has given exposure and greater legitimacy to once fringe ideas, including Confederate nostalgia, white nationalism, anti-Semitism, replacement theory, and QAnon accusations of satanic child sacrifice by liberal politicians. Michael Gearson's, his loyalty to reality, his commitment to the truth of Jesus Christ and who he calls us to be, gave him the courage to speak out and to speak in truth. He went on to say, what brought me to consider these historical matters is a disturbing realization in both public perception and evident reality, many white conservative Christians find themselves on the wrong side of the most cutting indictments delivered by Jesus of Nazareth. None of this makes any of us happy, you guys. This isn't good for the community of God. This isn't good for drawing people into the love of God and to knowing the ways of Jesus. But thank God for Michael Gerson. He was a man who listened to God's voice. He belonged to the truth, and he remained loyal to reality. And every time, in every place, in every situation, there's always that voice. It's always speaking to us. It speaks to us today in our world, in our lives. That's a voice we need to listen to. It's people who continue to practice the ways of Jesus, to being good news to all people, 
We have to be diligent in our aspiration to be part of a reality-based community. Part of the beauty here is we can hold each other to get that. We can challenge each other and push each other. I think what's going to leave me um, ponder, what's going to leave me pondering for a while is the question, will we belong to the truth or will we live as, and act as if the truth belongs to us? Please pray with me. Holy and gracious God, we live in a world that is complicated and confusing. We live in relationships with people that are complicated and confusing. Gosh, we are all broken. None of us have the answers. God, we do know that you call us to be loyal to reality, to stand in the truth that you weave those things together so that this world might be more beautiful and equitable and just and kind place for all people. God, we know that we need your help and your spirit to be people that are honest with ourselves and honest with each other. We know that we need your help to have the courage to take deep looks and have deep conversations and to pause before we jump. And that, God, you call us to be unified and that we are one, that each and every one of us are created in the image of you. We lift all this to you. We pray in your name. Amen. On a similar night, just like this, Jesus gathered um, in a room with his disciples. And in the same way, Jesus had to face his own reality. And I'm so glad that he decided to face this reality. In the same way that his disciples had to face the same reality. And the people around him and in his life had to face this reality and this choice of, do I belong to truth or does truth belong to me? And I'm so glad that Jesus decided to belong to truth so that we get to be this church. We get to believe in hope. We get to love our neighbors. And we get to gather on nights like this. But it's important that we remember why we gather. And so in that same way, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. And he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink it and remember me. So that's what we're going to do tonight. Um, as you come forward in the aisle, you can take the bread and dip it in the cup. There's no um, prepackaged little communion cups tonight. We're finally moving away from that. Sorry if you liked that. Um, big step for us. So uh, you can come down the aisle, take the bread. It's all gluten-free. Um, and so we'll just have one light tonight. And don't forget to hand sanitize. That'd be great. Thanks. And let's stand together and say the Lord's Prayer. Our God, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread give us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power